Welcome to The Grove. My name is Ali Shulman. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so excited that you decided to spend some of Pentecost Sunday with us. And even if you walked in and were like, what the heck is Pentecost? We're here to explain it to you. We promise we'll make this easy for those of you who are kind of new to this tradition. And for those of you who walked in, saw this oil, got freaked out, and were like, what the heck is going to happen? Don't worry. We'll explain that in a second. It's going to be okay. We're going to walk through it together. But I love preaching on Pentecost Sunday, but I especially love of it when it falls, and this happens every couple years, every seven years or so, it falls on Memorial Day weekend. And I actually think that's kind of an awesome thing because Memorial Day, for many of us, although tomorrow we will acknowledge those who have died and we'll pray that war ceases forever, but it also is this kind of official, unofficial mark of change in season, is it not? It's like we are moving from spring into summer. And you can feel that all around. And you probably started feeling it last week, and now you're starting to see it more this weekend. My daughter, every time she gets dressed, she always asks, is it a cold day or a hot day? Is it a cold day or a hot day? And that works in the spring. And she asked me that, I think yesterday. She says, a cold day or a hot day? I go, girl, till October. It's a hot day. It's a hot day. We are done with the yo-yo. We are here in summer. You can see it all around when you go out into the shopping, like into Central Market or Target, and there's kids there at 11 a.m. and at 2 p.m., and you're like, well, it's summer. Everybody's out. Everything's different. There's just a different energy. There's a transition that has happened that Memorial Day kind of marks for most of us. And I love it when Pentecost happens on Memorial Day because we, as a church, are actually going through a transition as well. We are leaving Easter season, which Stephen talked about. Easter is like 50 days, right? So Easter Sunday is the start, and then there's these 50 days after Easter where we start talking about and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And we tell all the stories that happen after the resurrection of Jesus. And it culminates in this day, in Pentecost, this Sunday. And from here, we'll move into another season of the year, somewhat inadequately named Ordinary Time, which is not great. Don't know who came up with that, but Ordinary Time, which lasts from Monday until Advent. It's this whole season of the year where we basically cram in everything else that we learn from the Bible besides Jesus' life. Advent to Easter, all Jesus' life, Ordinary Time, rest of the Bible, yeah? And so we're marking this change from Easter season into ordinary time. And Pentecost marks that change. And I love that it is so coincidental that we can be here both culturally and as a church and kind of this brief suspension in time where we get to think about what this transition means. Because while we're here, I want to take a word on seasons and a word on transitions. They're really important to think about, to acknowledge, and to understand that you are in them. That's because transitions, movements between seasons, whether they're self-imposed because you left a job or something changed, or whether they're kind of given to you, like temporal seasons when we're switching between spring and summer, whatever type of transition it is, it is important because it marks what's called a liminal space. And we've talked about this lots in this church before. Liminal spaces are these times in our lives between what was and what will be. And they're really sacred, holy times 
because record has shown through stories and people sharing kind of our explorations of spirituality over the last thousands of years, that is in these liminal spaces that God speaks to us most clearly. In other words, liminal spaces are often where we can discern and hear God's voice the best. So whether you are personally feeling like you're in a liminal space, or whether you're just jumping on the bandwagon that the church is experiencing that liminal space, it would behoove us to listen carefully and closely today. We need to put our ear to the ground and try to discern where God is speaking to us, both collectively and personally today. And the ways that we do that, there's lots of different ways that we do that. But here in church, when we're worshiping together as a community, there's actually kind of one preferred way that we listen to God. So we don't just put our ear to the ground. We put our ear and our heart and our mind, and we put it to the story. You see, some Sundays, actually a lot of Sundays around here, we take topics. We think about topics. Stephen and I, whoever's preaching, we think about topics that are relevant to like spirituality or interesting. And then we go in the Bible and we try to find where they talk about these topics. And then we bring it to you guys and we share about them and teach about them. But some Sundays, we do it the real old-fashioned way, which is we just open the Bible, read a passage, and then we tell you where God is talking or speaking through that passage. And so today, we're going to be doing the latter. And since we're celebrating Pentecost, there's a very particular part of the Bible where that story is told in Acts 2. You see, Pentecost is not just the reception of the gift of the Holy Spirit of all believers. It's actually celebrated as the birth of the church. And that happens in Acts, a book that's kind of written as the second edition or the second version. So we have Luke and Acts. They're basically the same book, same author but we separate them in the Bible as two different books, yeah? One's about Jesus' life, one's about after Jesus what happens, but they're kind of sequels to each other. So we're going to be looking at Acts 2, but as I was preparing this, I, I started to feel a little uneasy about doing it the same way we always do, because let me, let me tell you what normally happens. I read the scripture, I do some research, I think about it over the week, and basically, I come up here and I tell you what I think God is tell, telling me. Yeah, that's like literally what we do every week. We tell you what we think God is telling us. And then I started reading Acts 2, and it is all about the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if you know this, but one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is in you, you are able to interpret Scripture rightly based on God in you. And I don't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. It's not like we got more because we went to seminary. Like, you do too. And so some way, it felt kind of odd to come up here and just read the story and then just tell you what I thought it meant. In some way, it felt more authentic to let you practice listening to the story. So we're going to do something a little bit different today. I am going to read the story, and it's longer. It's Acts 2. I'm reading the whole thing because I think it's important. We're going to read through it once. And then I'm going to pause in the middle. And in the middle, I'm going to give you some questions up here on the screen. I'm going to read through it a second time. And as I do, you are going to practice listening for the Spirit. And if that is new to you, and if that feels woo-woo, just go with it, my friends. You can grab your bulletin and jot your grocery list. I don't care. 
but you will need your bulletin because I do think you're going to use that back page where it has those sermon notes on it or grab whatever piece of paper you have because here's some like primer on listening to the spirit. When you hear the words, there probably will be some kind of things that rise to your mind. At first, there's going to be a list of like to-dos probably or things that aren't relevant. But then if you listen past that, you might start to see images or some connection that makes absolutely no sense to what I'm reading. I still want you to write that down. Whatever connection comes up, whatever image comes up, whatever name comes up, nothing is a coincidence. We can filter it out later. Do not filter it out yourself. And that's what we're going to practice doing here. Yes? Everyone on board with that? Y'all can handle that today? I mean, oil, doing this, what are we, what are we doing in here? We'll be fine. But before we start, we also are going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and to be present with us. So will you take a moment with me while we practice this prayer? Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that you are here and you are in us. You give us the ability to know you. You give us the ability to know what is next in our lives. Lord, as we hear these words from Scripture, as we think about this story, as we ponder this story, open our hearts up to what you would have us receive. Let us be open to these words. Let us make connections to these words. However subtle they may be, Lord, let them come from you. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Okay, the other thing that I'm doing differently is I'm not putting it on the screen, which I know is going to freak a lot of you visual learners out, but here's why. When we put it on the screen, especially when it's a lot of words, it can kind of feel like it's a PowerPoint a little bit, and y'all are the audience, and like, we're alert, like you're just kind of reading along, and that is not how the Spirit's going to show up, yeah? You need to be kind of hearing or immersing in the experience, and it's long, and I didn't want to have a million slides, honestly. So we are going to read it, and as I read it, you're just going to listen, okay? And if it freaks you out, pull up your phone, Acts 2, you'll, you can use that, okay? So we're going to listen to it once all the way through, and then we'll listen to it that second time. Okay, ready? When the feast of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, gale force, and no one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building, and then, like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread throughout their ranks. And they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. There were many Jews staying in Jerusalem just then, devout pilgrims from all over the world. And when they heard the sound, they came on the run. Then when they heard one after another their own mother tongues being spoken, they were blown away. They couldn't for the life of them figure out what was going on and kept saying, aren't these all Galileans? How come we're hearing them talk in our various mother tongues? They're speaking our languages, describing God's mighty works. And their heads were spinning and they couldn't make head or tail of it. And they talked back and forth, confused, what's going on here? That's when Peter stood up and backed by the other 11, spoke out with bold urgency Fellow Jews, all of you who are visiting Jerusalem, listen carefully and get this story straight. These people aren't drunk, as some of you suspect. They haven't had time to get drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. That's really in there. This is what the prophet Joel announced would happen. So this is an old scroll that he is reading and talking about. And he says, It is in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people. 
Your sons will prophesy and also your daughters. Your young men will see visions. Your old men dream dreams. And when the time comes, I'll pour out my spirit on those who serve me, men and women both, and they'll prophesy. And I'll set wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below and blood and fire and billowing smoke, the sun turning black and the moon blood red. Before the day of the Lord arrives, the day tremendous and marvelous, and whoever calls out for help to me, God will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen carefully to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man thoroughly accredited by God to you. This Jesus, following the deliberate and well-thought-out plan of God, was betrayed by men who took the law into their own hands and was handed over to you. And you pinned him up to a cross and killed him, but God untied the death ropes and raised him up. Death was no match for him. And dear friends, this Jesus, God raised up, and every one of us here is a witness to it. Then raised to the heights of the right hand of God and receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he poured out the Spirit just as he had received it. And this is what you see and hear today. All the people in the crowd saying, brothers, brothers, so now what would we do? And Peter says, change your life. Turn to God and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus, so your sins are forgiven and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is given to you and your children, but also to those who are far away, whoever God invites. That day, about 3,000 took him at his word and were baptized and were signed up, and they committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. Okay. Find your bulletin, find a pencil, find whatever you need. Pierce, I'm going to invite you up for a second. I just think music makes us hear things better, so I'm going to read it again, but we're going to read it with music underneath. And I'm going to read it again. I'm going to put some questions up. Those are prompts for you to think about what could I th do with these questions, all right? And at the end of the day, y'all, if you're like, this is too much, start writing like a prayer or something that feels in line with where you are. Okay, so let's read this again, and this time I want you to really pay attention to where God is moving in the story for you. Okay, Acts 2. When the Feast of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, gale force, and no one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building, and then, like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks, and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. There were many Jews staying in Jerusalem just then, devout pilgrims from all over the world. And when they heard the sound, they came on the run. Then when they heard one after another their own mother tugs being spoken, they were blown away. They couldn't for the life of them figure out what was going on and kept saying, aren't these all Galileans? How come we're hearing them talk in our various mother tongues? They're speaking our languages and describing God's mighty works. And their heads were spinning and they couldn't make head or tail of any of it. And they talked back and forth and they were confused and they said, what's going on here? That's when Peter stood up and backed by the other 11, spoke out with bold urgency. Fellow Jews, all of you who are visiting Jerusalem, listen carefully and get this story straight. These people aren't drunk as some of you suspect. They haven't had time to get drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Listen to what the prophet Joel told us would happen. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy and also your daughters. Your young men will see visions, your old men dream dreams. 
And when the time comes, I'll pour out my spirit on those who serve me, men and women both, and they will prophesy. And I'll set wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below and blood and fire and billowing smoke, the sun turning black and the moon blood red. And before the day of the Lord arrives, the day tremendous and marvelous, and whoever calls out for help to me, God will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen carefully to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, the man thoroughly accredited by God to you, this Jesus, following the deliberate and well-thought-out plan of God, was betrayed by men who took the law into their own hands and was handed over to you. And you pinned him to a cross and killed him. But God untied the death ropes and raised him up. Death was no match for him. Dear friends, this Jesus God raised up, and every one of us here is a witness to it. Then raised to the heights at the right hand of the Father, receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out the Spirit he had just received. This is what you see in here today. All the people around him started asking, brothers, brothers, so what do we do now? And Peter said, change your life. Turn to God and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus, so your sins are forgiven and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is targeted to you and our children, but also to all who are far away, whoever our master God invites. That day, about 3,000 took him at his word and were baptized and were signed up. And they committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. So as you're finishing up your notes, I'm going to ask these questions out loud and we'll kind of wrap up. So the first question is, what part of the story are you drawn to? Do you identify with a particular character or are you a bystander in the story? Imagine hearing Peter's sermon in real life. What do you feel? And what is most surprising to you? I'm going to give you a few moments to finish that up. And as you wrap up, Pierce, I'm going to let you go back. Thank you so much for participating. I appreciate you. Let's give them a little round of applause. It was a little impromptu, but thank you for doing that. So now I'm going to do what I would normally do on a Sunday. I'm going to let you off the hook a little bit here. I'm going to tell you a little bit about what I see in this story, and here's what I want you to do. Those notes you took, I'm going to say some stuff. I want you to notice if there's any pattern, any connection you can make between what you wrote down and what I'm saying. And we're not going to call that a coincidence. We're going to call that the spirit working. Okay? So here's, here's what I thought when I read this passage. The first thing I thought was like, man, these people in Acts 2 are like really confident and they're very clear. The disciples are very clear on what they're supposed to be doing. And then I go back and I start remembering what the disciples were like in Luke. And I'm like, these are not the same people. Like, think about the guy, Peter, who's giving the speech. What did Peter do after Jesus was crucified? He denied him how many times? 
three. It's the same guy, theoretically, who's up there giving this speech and fully understands what he's supposed to be doing. And I kept looking at examples and Luke and then into Acts of like how the disciples were acting and they really just didn't like match up. It almost didn't seem like the same people. And even if you go into Acts 1, so just one chapter before, before Jesus leaves them, there's this interaction between the disciples and Jesus. And the disciples, man, y'all, they're still not getting it. Like Jesus is telling them, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You are baptized by the water. You're going to be baptized by the Spirit. And then they come back to him and they're like, so, so Jesus, when are you going to bring the kingdom of Israel here? And Jesus responds and says, the timing is not for you to know. You're missing it. And he says, look, again, you will receive the Holy Spirit and you will be witnesses to the end of the earth. And then what happens? Jesus goes to be with the Father. And you can imagine the disciples who still are just very confused, right? They've left the season of Easter. They don't know that they're about to transition, but they're kind of in this place of shock and confusion. And they don't know like exactly what they're supposed to do. They think they're supposed to hang out in Jerusalem, so they do. They choose a new leader or a new person to add to the mold after Judas left. But they're kind of fumbling. Like they don't know what they're supposed to do. And then you get to Acts 2, and suddenly, man, they're like, preaching. They are sure. They are calling out their family members. They're calling out people who are there. They feel empowered. And so the question that we should be asking, and in this case, it's actually a really easy answer, is like, what changed? What moved them from this place, this season of confusion and shock and like misunderstanding, into a place of clarity and conviction and confidence. And the answer is very simple. It was the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. But it's, it's interesting because you could say the disciples just gained confidence, but it's because it's such an intense distinction, we're supposed to understand that it's not the disciples suddenly like got better. It's that something changed so drastically, so supernaturally in them that they were suddenly able to do the job that Jesus gave them. Now, the disciples didn't have a firm understanding about what this Holy Spirit was, obviously. That's why they kept asking questions about other things during the Gospels, right? They're kind of like, I don't know what the Spirit thing is, because there wasn't a firm understanding of that, right? But we have the benefit of going back and looking at what the Holy Spirit is. So, for example, we have the written Bible. That's helpful because then we can go back and look instead of relying on oral tradition. So we can see that in Genesis 1, oh, the Spirit is there. We didn't see it before, but now we understand that Ruach, that word, which means Spirit, was hovering over the waters. And then we keep reading in the Old Testament and we see these instances of the Spirit empowering people. The Holy Spirit, to be clear, is God. Full stop. The Holy Spirit is not a part of God. It is not less than God. It is God. And in our tradition, we call it a person. Not physically a person. It means it has a personality. It means that that person is full of all the attributes of God. Whatever God the Father is, the Spirit is too. And the best way that I've learned how to talk about the Holy Spirit and its presence 
is the personal presence of God. And while we, the disciples, might not have fully understood what that meant, we now do. Sometimes the Holy Spirit acts through nature or other events of the world. But most often in Scripture and in our lives, the Holy Spirit acts through you. It is the personal presence of God in you. When you were baptized, if you've been baptized, then you received the gift of the Spirit. Peter says that, doesn't he? He says, be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They're synonymous. So whether you believe it or not, whether you feel it or not, and I'll believe it for you, is that the Holy Spirit is in you. It is actually united to a part of you. You can call it your soul if you want, but the most true part of you is God in a way. At least it's God empowering you to live and be like God. And that's what the disciples experienced. Not themselves, not like a boost of confidence and they're okay. But the actual spirit of God coming into them and convincing them. Oh, I get it. I thought this was supposed to be about Jesus finishing the job. But actually, it's about us finishing the job. We're part of the answer to this kingdom thing that Jesus kept describing. And the fault that we make, the mistake that we make, is assuming that that was a historical situation. We have been told, especially over the last 500 years, that a healthy dose of skepticism means that you're somewhat sophisticated. In other words, this idea of miracles or something in us or this idea of supernatural, it's like, we don't do that. We're too smart for that. We're too weathered for that. But we would be mistaken to assume that the Holy Spirit stopped somehow in Acts 2 that it didn't still act alive here. In fact, it's like a very valuable part, and we'll talk about that this summer, about our Methodist heritage. This idea that you can be led on to a place to live like Jesus, not because of your own stuff, but because of the Holy Spirit in you. And this occurred to me a lot this week as I started thinking about how I wanted to do this sermon because I think sometimes we kind of sidestep the job that the Holy Spirit gives us. We assume that we don't have enough knowledge, that we don't have enough confidence, that we don't have any of that stuff. And we miss the point that it isn't about your ability. It's not like Peter was a fantastic orator in Acts 1. It's not like he knew what he was doing in Luke. It is not about your ability. It is about how much you receive and recognize the Spirit in you. How much you believe that that is possible for you. And sometimes it can be hard as a minister because I hold this title and yes, I felt called to this very particular line of work in which I help people lead in their spiritual lives. But sometimes I read passage like this and I'm like, it really shouldn't be just me. Like, I don't have any special giftings apart from what I've learned in school. 
the reality is, because we believe the Holy Spirit is available to everyone and not a select few, you all are ministers. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you are empowered to do the work that Jesus has called you to do. And that can look like a lot of things. It's showing up at bedsides. It's checking in on people. It's preaching in your own way. It's teaching. It's caring for people. It's essentially being part of this revolution that changes the world. What Peter understood is that we are supposed to finish the work that Jesus started. We pick up where Jesus left off. And there is still work to do. And we still need ministers to do it. If you hear nothing else today, I hope you hear that you have been gifted with something so incredible, so amazing that God chose you to dwell in and he will give you whatever gift you need to finish the work that he has started in you. I don't know what that looks like in your life. That is between you and God. And I will help guide you and if you have questions, I am here. But you are called the same way that me and Stephen are called. And I hope that whatever this season looks like for you, that you remember that. Because I have this sneaky suspicion that maybe ordinary isn't the worst name for the season we're entering into. Maybe that spirit gives us the power to live our ordinary lives as ordinary people and still do extraordinary work. That is my prayer for you today that you might help figure out with the help of the Spirit what that work is for you, that you might lean into it, that you might feel anointed to carry on the work that Jesus left us. Let us pray today. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. God, sometimes, Lord, it is so hard to hear and feel your presence in us. There's so much other stuff blocking us. There's so many ways that we've been tuned out, God. Forgive us. In these next few weeks, Lord, let those moments of clarity come. Let us keep track of them, jot them down, ask a friend. Guide us into the work that you would have for us. Let us remember that we are called, that we are given all that we need that we are empowered by you. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.